My guest is one of the most amazing autistic advocates. Her name is Christine Jenkins, and you may have heard of her, or you may have read the book she's a part of. Christine Jenkins has been an advocate for many years, and most recently around issues related to late female diagnosis, gender bias, and autistic aging. And we're going to be talking about her new research study along with her Bridging Silos group researchers around autistic menopause. So be sure you stick around and get the link down in the show notes because that survey is available until June 1st at midnight Eastern time. Currently, Christine is a community research associate at Carleton University. She is the co-author of the anthology, this is what you've heard of before, I bet. Spectrum Women, Walking to the Beat of Autism. That was published in 2018, and it is still one of the most fantastic books. Really is so fantastic. And she has presented in Canada and internationally. Christine has been a peer reviewer for the journal Autism in Adulthood and edits other books and articles. She's really phenomenal. She wrote a a fantastic and really relatable poem last week um, on the uh, in Facebook group. And I'm going to link it down in the show notes below because it's all about those darn tags that we have in our clothes. And I have recently been snipping mine out of things that just shouldn't have tags in them, like your underwear, right? So Christine states that our aim is to help include autistic voices at every stage in true co-production of research. Christine recently started a business called Christine Jenkins Awesome Consulting, and I've got all of the links down below so that you can join the survey so that you can connect with Christine. Please be sure if you haven't yet read Spectrum Women, go check that book out. And it's not just for women, it's for men too. So many people have just these huge aha moments as they read through these 12 different stories. And Christine's chapter is the very last one in the book. She says, and I agree, they save the best for last. Um, so we're gonna be talking all about aging, autistic menopause, and I'll layer in a few things about burnout. Not too many, but Christine really shares in this conversation that I have with her today, some really beautiful points around what's not being done and why it's so important that as autistic advocates and just as autistic people, we are sharing and talking about our aging journey. Hi, I'm Carol Jean, late identified autistic ADHD human and your host of the Mind Your Autistic Brain talk show and Burnout Restoration Unveilers community. You're about to experience the new way to thrive as a neurodistinct brain and body by getting off the chronic cycle burnout loop for good. By unveiling your authentic self, defining what thriving feels like for you, knowing your burnout signpost, so those top 20 burnout warning signs are a thing of the past and stepping into your best life as the creator and leader you are meant to be. Get ready because this is where we go against the mainstream. Say no to outdated self-care tips and we say yes to who we are in order to create an energized, authentic, 
peaceful and harmonized world. Welcome to Mind Your Autistic Brain. I loved the song that you sent me the other day, Christine. I have been listening to it. And every time I hear it, it's like, it made me think about the intro song. It's got the little beeps and the pops. Very boppy. And she's talking about defend your joy. You have to defend your joy. I know. I loved the title. That's just earworm. That song. Anyway, um, shout out to Joey Belleville and the Echoing Green. And I will make sure that I put that in the show notes so you guys can go check out that song. Because the minute I heard it, I'm like, ooh, I am so loving this. I'm like, Uh, my playlist. One of my hats was being a DJ. So I met them a long time ago. And I totally love that. Because, you know, that's something we always talk about on the show. And a lot of times uh, when I have guests come, if if it's, I always like to ask, like, you know, what what's on replay for you right now? Like, what's the song, right? And a lot of times we'll just put those into a playlist and share that with everybody. <laughs> it's like, Great. this is what we're <laughs> listening to, because we love to share music here in the, in the Mind Your Autistic Brain community, because music is such a big part of, like, self-regulation, expression, you know, sort of like, if I can't quite put a word or something to a mood I'm feeling, I can find the song for it. It's just a great, great. music is amazing. <laughs> yeah. I call it tuning. It's Ooh. scripting, but to music. So it's always running through my head, right? Some people have a poem, some people have a TV script, some people have, right? And you don't have to be singing out loud to be tuning. You can be tuning in your heart, right? Making making melody in your heart. Oh man, I love that. <laughs> So we have a mutual friend, Diane J. Wright, and she so kindly introduced us, oh my gosh, over a year and a half ago. And we, you and I were talking about it before we, we came on. And it's so amazing because I don't think you know the impact that meeting you had on me that day. Really? Well, I haven't shared this with you. So I had talked to Diane and I said, I really want to start speaking at conferences. I'm really interested in doing that this year. And she said, oh, I know somebody you need to talk to, Christine Jenkins. And I'm like, you mean the woman who was part of the authoring of Spectrum Women, the book? (laughs) She was like, yes, that Christine Jenkins. And I'm like, oh, I'm star-studded just a little bit. Okay, yeah, I want to meet Christine. (laughs) So she introduced us. You and I got on a Zoom call. We had such a fun visit. It was amazing. We really did. But that conversation and just spending time with you that day shifted something in my world. And within, I think it was 24 hours, I was invited to be a speaker at my first conference. There we go. I'm your lucky (laughs) charm. (laughs) You are totally my lucky charm, Christine. (laughs) Because then it was like the cascade and the rest of the year, I think I ended up doing... um, five or six conferences last year. Sometimes there's a and snowball. It was, Speaking as a Canadian, a snowball effect. <laughs> You're about out of the snowball stage oh, in the weather right now, aren't you? Yeah, we're in the spring is from phase. Well, I, I saw this post yesterday. It was pretty funny. It's like, now I know why they call it May. It may be hot. It may be cold. It may be raining. It may be snowing. 
we've had craziness over here too. And I'm like, as like, we both got on here and you're like, you were saying you were hot. And I was like, I am freezing today, but I was so hot and miserable yesterday. Oh my goodness. We're going to be talking about autistic menopause, aging, yeah. and I'm going to layer in some well, burnout around here. I'm 63. So I've been through it and I can speak to that quite knowledgeably, <laughs> whether I want to or not. Um, aging is a major factor and it's not being explored much in the autistic realm because of the stereotype of the younger, shall we say, white male, you know, gender bias that exists and uh, research is no stranger to that. We have uh, a lot of money going into maybe, you know, the transition into young adulthood, which is necessary, but there are other transitions in life, including into the menopause and into old age. Well, I'll tell you. Sorry, I that's depressing, but it's true. <laughs> no, I mean, having just celebrated my 49th birthday and, you know, and Diane holding. and I have- 49 and holding. <laughs> and holding. And Diane, over the, over the last two years, you know, she's been wonderful and sharing just amazing books and resources because about, I guess about nine months ago, I woke up and I knew the whole world had just shifted. And it was like one day I was totally fine. And the next day I was in perimenopause and it was like an 18 wheeler. It was like a freight train had hit me and it wasn't gradual. It wasn't like this was just like slowly on ramping. It was just like full on. Whoop, there it is. And is it can be as young as in your 30s. You know, and things that were working for you before, suddenly they don't work anymore. One of the, the first papers by uh, Mosley et al., when my autism broke, that's what the person they interviewed called it. And, and it's true. Everything came to a crashing halt for that person. And uh, the initial study, they just interviewed seven people in focus groups, and then it got expanded. So there's three or four papers out, and I've got one in uh, review right now. So... Uh, Hopefully there'll be more research done on the topic of perimenopause and menopause. I am so thankful for that because one of the things that has been really difficult, it's not just being late identified, you know, at almost 40. It's also been, you know, how does me being also ADHD, I was diagnosed in my 20s and then finally, you know, oh, you're autistic when I was almost 40. And then navigating all of that and like my mom didn't, she had a hysterectomy. So she didn't really go through the whole process of menopause. So, I mean, I remember sharing it and a lot of my girlfriends have had hysterectomies for various reasons. So they haven't experienced like the natural progression of like perimenopause and menopause. And one of the things that I had read, then this really got me, Christine, like this really got me. Oh, you can go through perimenopause for what, seven to 10 years before? 10 years is about average. Yeah. And maybe longer. But uh, all I could think well, is I was, if I got to go through this, 40, somebody's going to die. <laughs> so for me, it was 41 to 51. 51 is the average age of the last period, but it, it can really vary. You know, and if you have like polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS, um, then you would be thrust into menopause very young, in young adulthood. 
So because of the hormones not being produced. So, you know, I think each woman or, you know, person with a uterus has to be treated individually. It does. And, and there's so little being talked about just in general. Oh, there's a stigma. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you layer in neuro differences in that experience, because yeah. it's not just our brains that are neurodistinct, it's our bodies. So our sensory system experiences the world differently. You know, a lot of co-occurring health conditions mm -hmm. um, influence that because I have POTS and MCAS right. and I've, you know, had endometriosis. I have two children, it's a miracle yeah. in and of itself, right? Yeah. And all of the things that come up. And it was interesting. I was talking to Mona Kay from Neurodiverse Love and she was so kind because she's ahead of me on the, the menopause journey. And I'm like, this has hit me, Mona. I don't know what the heck to do. I don't understand what's going on. I don't even know where to go to get decent information. And we were just kind of having a casual conversation. And she said, Carol Jean, by any chance, did you have postpartum depression with any of your pregnancies? And I said, I vehemently denied it because I didn't think I was because it didn't quote unquote, look like what I thought that was supposed to look like, you know, because I was like, still getting stuff done, but I was not doing well after my second child. And my husband at the time was being so kind and helpful. And he said, I think you might need to look into postpartum depression. And I immediately got mad, which probably should have told somebody something. I was like, I am not. And I got really mad, right? <laughs> but looking back on it, oh, yeah, I definitely Hindsight did. is always, that's when you can tease it apart is through hindsight. Right. And that's why but we're I, interviewing women at different phases because we wanted to see um, if there were differences between the ones who knew they were autistic at the time and the ones who didn't. I mean, that's something we have to unpuzzle because that's, that was my situation. I, I became curious about autism as a result of perimenopause because of the upheaval in my life. So maybe that's the catalyst for some women to go exploring and then they find out they're ADHD or autistic or both. And um, it gives them a name for what's going on. And, you know, our, our guts have their own brain, according to some people, right? So um, it's not surprising that the upset affects our whole being. It's not just our brain. So... Um, you know, ending, the ending of the periods can bring relief as well. But if you don't understand all the other, there's over 30 symptoms of perimenopause. So if you don't understand that there's more than hot flashes and, you know, headaches and cramps and heavy periods, that you're really all at sea. I mean, you, you haven't got the information and the doctors aren't always trained in it. So they don't give out that information to their patients. Christine, what was your experience when you started to go into perimenopause that really was this big upheaval? What was that experience for you? Because I know that there are some people out there that have like, I've read some stuff, but this just isn't relating to what I'm experiencing. Maybe well, what you experienced will be helpful. I, I know exactly where I was and when because of my phenomenal memory. So I was in Littleton, New Hampshire on vacation sitting in a diner, looking in the glass window, and all of a sudden I saw this big silver hair growing out of my chin. I was 41. 
And I didn't tell my husband at the time. I just, I freaked. Like I was going, oh my goodness, I'm turning into my grandmother who had big moles and hairs everywhere. She was very elderly when I was born. So I rushed back to our hotel, plucked <laughs> the thing out, which is not what you're supposed to do. <laughs> Wait, what? You're not supposed to pluck it out? <laughs> well, it was my first white hair, right? I just, you know, and I thought it was very conspicuous because I guess the sunlight caught it in the window glass. And I just... It, I am envisioning this whole yeah, thing. I was not thrilled. And I instantly felt old. Like oh. at 41. I just and that after that I started noting noticing more symptoms. But I think it affected my relationships the most strongly. Things that you can put up with before, you just can't anymore. It's like, no, I'm not settling for this anymore. So it had a tragic side effect for me. So and no, I'm happy I'm single on my own now. And, you know, but that tumultuous time was something I could have used help with. And of course, I didn't realize till close to three years after the relationship ended that I was even autistic. So there's all of that. There's just layers and layers. And, and one of the songs I'm using in one of our creative phases is called Onion Girl. And, you know, you're peeling back the layers to find the real you because a lot of us are chameleons right we've been taught to fit in by trying to mimic the people around us and the appropriate behaviors around us you know even putting on makeup to go to the office or whatever it's an attempt to not draw attention to yourself for the wrong reasons so it just didn't work anymore i had to find out who I really was. You talk about being authentic, right? And and living and thriving rather than just surviving. So that's what happened. So, so I was about 45, I think, when all of that went down. But I didn't find out I was autistic till I was 48. And that, again, I started with self-diagnosis, which so many older women do. And then I had to keep asking for a referral, either the doctors had retired, moved away. It was really hard to find a specialist. And uh, that took about six months. And then of course, waiting for the appointments and they had three appointments with me. And, uh, oh yeah, they said I had mild Asperger's. That's a real oxymoron. <laughs> Not only Asperger's, but mild Asperger's. <laughs> like, oh no. my gosh. Okay. <laughs> So one of my hashtags is no mild autism. I don't believe there is such a thing. You are either autistic or you're not. And and I found that really aggravating that I went through that whole process. But I do have the piece of paper. And then later on in Pittsburgh, I was reassessed ASD1, whatever it is. Because it was prior to 2013, they used the DSM-4 and now they use the DSM-5. So I don't like levels. I don't like functioning labels but I do have the piece of paper if I need it. What I hate now is there's people online that are, that are being asked for proof, like we're faking it. They call it fautism, F-A-U. Oh my gosh. Like no, no one is entitled to my medical records. I'm sorry, I'm not going to show you my medical proof. You are either gonna believe me or you're not gonna believe me. And most doctors, I remember meeting um, Dr. Stoddart in Toronto, he knew within 10 minutes that I was autistic. Like, 
he didn't need to go through the whole diagnostic schedule. And the same with my, uh, I got assessed for sensory processing disorder in, uh, yeah, in 2012 or 13, which was really helpful. And I went in with a whole checklist from a book that I had with, you know, I'm hyposensory in this field and I'm hyper in this field. And um, Ellen Yak just said, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm for an hour and gave me the diagnosis like she knew. We tried out all sorts of things. She had a therapy room. I tried weighted blankets. I tried stretchy sheets that you pull over you and give you a hug and all this cool stuff. But we knew, like, it, it wasn't like I had to convince her. So I think the older people, and same with ADHD, if you have the nerve and the strength of character to do the research and go for the diagnosis, I hear it's like 95% of the time people get one. Like it's really high. People are not faking it. They've Nobody been faking the rest of their that. lives. Right? You were talking about the early part of your life and, and you had to fake it to make it as a neurotypical person. So, and, and you said, um, did I have one saying that I wanted to, to bring forward? And uh, it's actually Judy Garland I've, I've reinterpreted her saying, but it's better to be a first-rate first autistic person than a second-rate neurotypical. Ooh, that's right? good. Now, she, like she, she didn't use autistic, right? But, right. but she, it's better to be yourself than an imitation of someone else. So maybe I can leave that with you. <laughs> oh, you know, that... That is empowering. And that's a lot of what it we is. talk about on this show is the it's empowerment. It's painful, though, to not be yourself. It's, and maybe that's what the menopause does is it strips away that veneer. And you just don't care anymore. And, I mean, there's also the invisibility of women in their 50s anyway. Like, people can walk right into me sometimes. It's really weird. I used It used to happen when I had my period. Isn't that weird? That's when your estrogen dips, right? Oh, so there's something about estrogen and feminine essence, maybe, or that chutzpah, you know, when you're walking down the street and you're in your power, you know. But now that the estrogen has gone for good, I, I don't know. Maybe that coincides with that feeling of invisibility because it's real. Mm. That's interesting, too, because when you... When you talk about that, Christine, I, I think back to like when I was a young girl and felt oh, so the cat calls and the whistles and the, you know, guys turning around to look at you and you're very visible, right? You know, unless you choose to dress in a way that's like totally downplaying, <laughs> which you can, it's totally fine. But um, yeah, I think the younger women get more attention, whether wanted unwanted it's so interesting because i would look back and like think about my younger self and i thought in my mind you know i was dressing and and you know matching my peers you know make sure i had the the right outfit and all this stuff and you know feeling very feminine but then feeling completely invisible because other girls would get the attention and I wouldn't. And then I look back on that now and I'm like, 
was it because I was autistic and other people just picked up on it? And that just sort of, that made me invisible. And now I've sort of did maybe even because I didn't know who I was, maybe I didn't show up in a way that people saw me maybe because I didn't see myself. I mean, you know, all the stuff that we do. And mm -hmm. as I've gotten older at, at this age and at stage in my life, it's interesting because I see me maybe for the first time. Right. And so I think other people You're liberated. see me. Yeah. The diagnosis, the label isn't a curse. I think it can be very freeing. So Definitely. When, when women say, well, why would you want to label this late in life? And I'm going, because it, it describes who I am. It isn't an excuse. It's an explanation. And, and I think that's why disclosing has to be obviously on a personal case by case basis, but it can be very much a relief for people in your life to know. It's not always safe. You have to decide when it's safe to disclose it. And I think that's such an important part of the conversation, especially like when I go in and do a lot of corporate work, it's, it's navigating change management because people aren't going to disclose anything if it's not a psychologically safe environment. Yeah. And, you know, Stephen Shore wrote the book, Ask and Tell, right, with the help of others. But, you know, it is easier for a white, upstanding, middle-class guy to disclose as being autistic because that's the picture that most people in the world have of autism. So for us, it's a double whammy. We're female and we're older. So it's not what people expect. And you're going to get some pushback. A lot of the time you get pushback. You really do. And I love the it word. It would be worse if I were a black person or yeah. an indigenous person. I obviously have white privilege. I acknowledge that. And, and it's even harder if you're less what they expect. So, you know, and from a non-Western country, for instance, where autism might be stigmatized. So. Absolutely. You know, we had uh, in our Shine a Light campaign, we had advocates from all over the globe. And it was really wonderful to kind of hear from, from some of our different advocates, like in the Philippines and the Middle East, mm -hmm. sharing what the experience is. And um, they don't even have a word for autism, for instance, in Somalia. You know, you just hide those children away. They're not even acknowledged. So the fact that when they come here to North America as immigrants and, and new Americans, new Canadians, they have to find a word for this uniqueness of their child and learn that it's not a deficit. It's really hard. I can't imagine. It's not. Oh God, I chose not to have children. So I figure that meant I got diagnosed probably about 15 years later because of the way the, the diagnostic tools were made available. Uh, when I was a young married person, um, it was still pretty unusual to be uh, diagnosed, even in childhood. And of course, if I'd had girls, they would have been in their teens or 20s before likely being assessed. So, you know, but you, you could live your life in a lot of regret, but I choose to be better, not bitter, because 
I did find out eventually, and I'm making the most of the time that that I do have. I've had health challenges, and I want to make sure that I'm leaving something behind for the women who follow us because they you know you're doing the same thing. You're, you're um, providing a legacy of information and, and support that you know we hope when the younger women hit perimenopause, they're not going to be as baffled as we were. Right. And, and I feel them totally. They're like nipping at my heels, you know, that I, I can feel that generation of advocates in their 20s and 30s stepping up. Right. And, and you know, I was interviewed by Carleton University and I said they're not going to be as patient as we were. They have strong voices and they're going to demand to be heard and they're going to demand some answers. So um, I think that generation is going to be like you say they're going to shine a light but it doesn't mean we can't be helpful now we can we can do things to make it better now most definitely and i i cannot even count the number of women i have sent your way over the last year oh good <laughs> as as we are all sort of collectively coming together going hey are you having this happen yeah. have you experienced this what what is this you know and in having these conversations amongst ourselves and i'm just like okay you got to go check out christine she's got some work mm -hmm. going on in the menopause world and in with our neurotype this is definitely the place to go and there is a brand new are, book. you're, you're going to highlight my book at the end but there's a brand new book with a whole chapter on getting older and it's written by two women so i think it's worth highlighting and so Felicity Sedgwick is the researcher and Sarah Douglas is the lived experience. So I love the fact that they did this together. And, and can you read us the title of the book? Yeah, sorry. Understanding Autistic Relationships Across the Lifespan, Family, Friends, Lovers, and Others. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So uh, she goes there. So chapter eight is getting older. And there's several paragraphs on menopause for the first time, I might add. So I mentioned, my co-researcher Rose is mentioned, and of course, Sarah tells her own story. So every time there's a gray box, that's the lived experience, which I like. It's nice to have that set off. So I have been delving into it lately, and uh, it really resonated with me. So it's from Rutledge. And I'm looking into whether there's a, a an American distributor. Oh, fantastic. And I'll make sure to put the link in the show notes for you guys to go check out that book. So, Christine, when we talk about or start to discuss and, and create a, a fruitful dialogue around autistic aging, what are some of the things that, that kind of come up for you that are important discussion points? Well, just, the, you know, the impatience that people show at this time of life it's um very daunting when you read about other people and it doesn't apply to you because most of the studies they stop at age 40 and that's partly because they only use clinically diagnosed people in their samples so the fact that most of us started as self-diagnosed and very few of us actually get a complete medical diagnosis that automatically removes us from that study pool. So it's really unfortunate because the research should be allowed to appeal to people that are self-diagnosing. So my current research does. 
we made that a point. So, um, so there's a sense of injustice, but also finding out, even if it is through the self-diagnostic route, gives a sense of relief and validation. So support groups are springing up for over 40s. Uh, Diane, as you know, runs Autastic, and I'm involved in a couple myself, which people can correspond with me privately because they're closed groups. Um, it's it's tough though to find each other, and um, I'm all for people connecting online because I think it's safer and more accessible to meet each other online. Not saying it wouldn't be nice to have a conference, and I helped run one here in Ottawa. Boy, yeah, ten years ago, June first. So, but nothing's happened since then. It's you know. Um, They'll bring in a special speaker, but usually it's not an older woman. It's usually a man. So uh, things have to change as far as representation. I mean, we're, we're even seeing it in the media now on television and on the streaming services. Have you seen A Kind of Spark yet? I haven't. Okay. So that's from Scotland, but it's a co-production with Canada. So, and it's 10 episodes. So it's on Netflix. So I'll shout out for check it out. Um, it's supposed to be aimed for young adults, but I think there's a lot in there for non-youth. <laughs> so yeah, so it's about teenage girls on the spectrum. So there's so little representation that we're happy for anything that comes along that isn't the stereotype that we've been led to expect. So. Um, I don't know what else bothers me about menopause, but I mean, everyone goes through aging and, and it's just, that's just a fact of life. But there are things I think that could make it easier. And, and training our doctors and our politicians too, to, to know what it's like in the workplace when someone's going through menopause, uh, what it's like in your relationships, uh, with your children, with your partner. Those are all things that we hope will come up in our uh, in our international survey, which finishes next week. Yes, and I'm going to have all of that information. So, Christine, for anybody that's listening today, because we probably got some folks out there that have been wondering, am I in perimenopause? Am I in oh, that cycle? And you mentioned like 30 different things that could be coming up. What are like some of maybe the top things that stand mm. out that you usually hear most often that people experience? Well, for me, the brain fog, uh, I wasn't expecting that. So a lot of confusion and uh, just, it's, it's way more than the stereotype of the night sweats and the hot flashes. I think that's what's got people, you know, there's all these remedies and they market things to women. They call that femme care. When they're, oh, this is a menopause product, right? They're just trying to make money off of us most of the time. So I'm very leery of this new industry that's swept up a lot of people. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I didn't have all of those symptoms. So th there's definitely a tracker out there. I know the Balance app is available. And I know Menopause Chicks in Canada has a tracker that you can download for free. And um, I guess the, the easiest way to know about it is your periods get really erratic they might even get heavier for a while 
plots and sorry if this is too much information but you know it, it's quite unpleasant um just really heavy towards the end and that's how you know that it's ending it's like one final burst of misery and you know there may be things accompanying that like polyps and fibroids which have to be checked out so definitely stay in touch with your with your gynecologist if you have one get your pap smears you know make sure you're taking care of yourself um urinary tract infections things like that so they're they're all part and parcel of the the end of the estrogen dominance in your system so those of you who can explore uh replacement obviously that's a discussion you have to have with your doctor i couldn't stay on it but i had a good five years where i wore the patch or i used the estrogen gel mm -hmm. and uh, there's a new drug coming out now which is not hormone based to help with night sweats the fda just approved it last week oh wow and i can't yeah, say i haven't it. had night sweats say it. it's, it's, it's with an f f-e-z if you type that in, it's probably going to come up. It's like five syllables long. Um, and it's not out in Canada yet. So I'm looking into that. But that I think people aren't expecting some of those symptoms. And, and like the vaginal dryness. Who's expecting that? It's like, what's going on down there? It's like, ah! you know, <laughs> it's like the last thing you need, right? So itchiness, your skin. Um, I had eczema. That's something I've noticed is a lot of really dry yeah. skin. My skin is really changing. Yes. Uh, little bits of hair loss, like maybe here, just on the temples. If you've got bangs, you can disguise it. Um, yeah, weird, weird things like that. Feeling like ants are crawling all over me. There's a name for it. It's called formication, not N. Form, M, M, formication. And I'd rather have fornication. <laughs> <laughs> you said it on me <laughs> you're right i so said it <laughs> okay so that's that and i i used to wake up thinking i've got something down there like i it was really embarrassing like what is going on and it's all in your mind it's actually a psychosomatic trade that increases during perimenopause. So anyway, I don't want to suggest oh all these gosh. things and then I'm women so are going glad. to go, oh no, I've got all of them. Right, but I mean, but to even have this conversation is huge because that's the first time I've heard that. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, when Not stuff happens, especially want. like in, in your, you know, your private areas and that kind of stuff, you don't always, and you're like, but this isn't like candidas. It's not like yeast, no, but it feels different, yeast. right? Yeah. And it's, but it's, and you're looking and going, this isn't it. So what's wrong? And then you're like scared to say something or you don't know who to say or how to and say it's it. It's part of the genital urinary cluster of traits. And it yeah. definitely should be explored because, you know, there are creams you can get, you can get, you know, or, you know, restoring the estrogen in that area, which can be done internally and on the vulva. There's no reason why not. That's safe even for people who are uh, estrogen positive from breast cancer. So again, it has to be done with your doctor's approval, but uh, there's an ointment you can get and 
that'll stop the itching. Wow, so, that's so, okay. So you probably just saved some some person out there today. So thank yeah, you. Like I, mean, I used to cut mine with like aloe vera and uh, what was the third thing I used? Coconut oil, I think. Coconut oil is safe, right? It's uh, uh, non. What's the word? It's antimicrobial. Mm. If you use the good coconut oil. Yep. I use the extra virgin unrefined right. coconut oil. I started putting it on my skin because my skin yeah. has been so stinking dry. And I've got um, like these little keratin deposits on my skin and they gave me some stuff to start putting on them. And it's just like everything is dry and just like itchy. But my skin's got this weird texture and it's like I can yeah. pull it and it's looser oh, yeah. now. And uh -oh. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, mm. and it's kind of strange because I because I'm I have hypermobility, you know, that's one of the things too that I've noticed has been different. Um, so what is EDS and what is menopause? So you've got to tease that apart. Exactly. That's not, that's not easy. And I have POTS and I had a DVT, so I can't do hormone replacement drugs because I had a blood clot. Ask about it. the internal one. I, I am so glad you said that because now I am. You can get I, suppositories that are as low as four milligrams now in the US. So they just oh, did wow. a test on the safety of that with a large mm -hmm. sample. And because 10 is the standard dose and you don't yeah. need 10 to get rid of the, the genital symptoms. So yeah, anyway, this is all, please do your homework. I'm not a medical yes. person. So I'm just anecdotally, this is what we're finding. And yeah. uh, but the number one thing is for the doctors and the clinicians to believe us, whether we're going in for an ADHD diagnosis or an autism diagnosis, or to find out if we're perimenopausal, somebody has to believe us. Because yeah. you just feel like you're coming unglued. You know, it's all going down at once. Yes. You know, 47, you hormone 48, 49, and the average age in Western countries is 51. And my mother was no longer here, so I couldn't ask her. But I do remember the the turmoil in her life when I when she was 51. And if you do have your parent and you can talk to them, please find out what they experienced because genetically, it's very likely you your situation will be similar. So it's always good. It could be an aunt. It could be your mom. But some woman in your family's gone through something pretty well at the same time as you will. That's just the odds. And I had I started late, so I was nearly 14. So I ended, but I ended on at the average time. But I'm really glad that I started late. <laughs> so. Well, Christine, tell us a little bit about the research that you're doing in autistic mm -hmm. menopause, because I want to make sure that we share with people what this is about and how they can get involved, because there's a little window here left only till June 1st is the deadline. I'm going to put this on the screen. So the autistic menopause survey, the deadline is June 1st at midnight Eastern Standard Time. So share with us, Christine, a little bit about this research. Who's involved? How did you guys get started with this and, and what you're looking wow. to do with the research? Well, there's a team of seven. Uh, two community associates, so Rose in the UK and me in Canada. So I enlisted her. And since Rachel Mosley was the doctor that had done most of the previous research, we recruited her.
quite early and Dr. Miranda Brady is my colleague at Carleton University where I actually attended 40 years ago, so I'm back. Uh, I work from home and the team meets on Zoom about once a month. And this is phase three of our study. You'll see the website below, go to the center column if you're uh, reading it from there. And that will describe phase three. So we've completed the first two phases. The first one was UK and Canada focus groups. And the second one was called creative submissions. And we're just reviewing that now. And phase three is as international as we can make it. I think we're up to 12 or 15 countries that have sent participants. So we're looking for more if you're somewhere around the world and nobody's asked you about your perimenopause or menopause, we'd be happy to have your responses. So when we get those, uh, we'll be using Qualtrics and analyzing them in an ethical fashion. There's always consent involved and, and the data is anonymized so nobody can tell who said what. And then we'll be trying to publish that and I'll be writing a series of short information sheets, maybe little videos or uh, Padlet, I think it's called, where you can put different resources together in one place so that the women and uh, people with uteruses coming up behind us will be able to find this information. So I know we have the website for five years and we're already two years into the project. So we started um, in June of 21. Wow, yeah. <laughs> It's hard to believe I've been doing this for two years. Tempest so, um, Yeah, the, the project, the total title is called Bridging the Silos because th there's a lot of silos in academia, right? There's psychology and gynecology and psychiatry and, and gerontology for aging, right? And yes. we're not talking to each other. Even the major autism conference in the world, people go to their stream and they don't often attend talks from the other domains. It's really a shame. So we hope to bridge that academic divide and uh, bring people together over this topic because it does touch a lot of domains. And, uh, and of course, autistic women but that are understudied to start with. So um, we welcome self-diagnosed participants. Um, usually you've done your homework and you know so unfortunately, we didn't make it general neurodivergence. We had to restrict it to autism. Um, it's not that we wouldn't value the insights of the other conditions, but that's the way it was set up over two years ago. So, And uh, we'll report back on the same page that you see there once we have results. That is going to be fantastic. And what is the time frame that you guys have? Because I know your, oh. your cutoff point is June 1st. So what's well, your expected I'd say time? By, by the fall, we'll start to have initial findings. Oh, so maybe I can great. come back in the new year. I don't know. Yes. But, uh, you know, we have to see if we pass the peer review process mm -hmm. um, to, to see if we're, we're able to be published. But I do know that one of the journals that's quite reputable um, is doing a focus on autistic aging. And I think that's going to be announced soon. So I can't say much more, but it's very reputable journal. And I've actually 
done some work for them as a reviewer. So obviously I won't be reviewing my own paper. <laughs> Not allowed. So uh, we're very excited about that. That was just uh, a little bird told me that about two weeks ago. So the timing couldn't be better because uh, again, you know, they wanted to call it autism and aging. And I thought, mm, can I put my hand up to suggest autistic aging? Because it's about the person. Because it's, it's always saying you know, autism at work. Well, no, it's an autistic person at work, right? I mean, yes. my autism isn't in my briefcase and I take it with me to work. <laughs> Thank you for that visual. That is so good. Always think about Well, there's that. a graphic, right? The, have you seen the one with, with the rainbow people? Yeah. And, and also, you yes. know, I live with autism. No, I live with my cat. Yeah. I don't live with autism. Nope. I am autistic. Yes. So, yeah. So, so we've made that conscious um, effort. And uh, we'll see. In the fall, there'll be lots of news. Oh, that'll be so I had, exciting. So my poem, I had my poem published. But the thing with this project is it seems to have unlocked the creative potential in I some know, of our researchers. I know, because the poem you posted last so, week was so good. Yep. Yeah. So you can put a link to that if you want. It's I am. I'm going to have that in the show Anybody notes. I wanted to read it. Always, always fussing because there's itchy and scratchy. Remember? Oh. You know, sometimes you want to, was, as a little kid, you know, those leotards that had the seam up, you know, the terrible yes. seams in them. You probably had lycra stockings when you were growing up, but we yes. didn't. We had these terrible nylon, awful leotards, and they hung down in the crotch and they were just unbearable. And you couldn't wait to peel them off, right? I was always jumping out of mine. So even then, I had that tactile defensiveness, that aversion to certain textures and but nobody put the pieces together because they didn't even know what autism was in the 1960s so very few people were were diagnosed so um i just suffered in silence and it was always that dress that grandma sent you for easter or whatever right oh, the really the special dress ever and they had those scratchy tool what do you call yes, it? the Your lace skirts? the crinoline and crinoline oh. that's what it was and, and, and I can still, it was a beautiful olive green. There's pictures of me wearing it with embroidery. I still remember that dress and how bad it felt. So anyway, that's what my poem's about. Oh, and I loved it because the day that I read it, because you said, oh, Carolteen, I've got this poem. And I, so I went and read it and I was, as I was reading it, I had just finished with my little small pointed Stitch scissors cutting oh, yeah, all, scissors. it was little tiny sewing scissors cutting the tags out of some brand new underwear that i'd gotten because i'm like underwear. Why do we have tags Who in underwear? puts tags Why? in underwear thank you like that's Are the most just... insane thing <laughs> i'm like uh, and i just finished cutting them out and when i read that i'm just like yes yes so much how, yes many holes, how many holes in the side have you ever had to sew up because you cut too much Right, because oh, it's embedded in the uh, yeah. Yes, or I've had to throw something away. Now they have tear off no it. They stamp them on or they tear off. Yes. I just think of the waste of fabric and somebody sitting in a factory somewhere sewing those in. Like, they're, uh, it's illogical. 
I know. And you know, one of the things that like when you, when we talk about in burnout, you know, your sensory profile is, is different when you're in burnout than when you're in thrive. Well, the whole new layer of this is like my sensory profile isn't just reflecting my burnout, but it's also perimenopause. And how is all that combining? Because then we have like this lasagna layer of these sensory things. And like you talked about, we have hyper and hypo sensitivity within our sensory profile. And that can happen at the same time in the same, you know, it can be auditory. Like you hear something very acutely, it's driving you crazy, but at the same time you can listen to this thing and it doesn't bother you. I call it the princess and the pea syndrome. Oh, that is so me. Right? That that story was written, I think, about so Oh yeah, much. she's autistic. <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> totally. And I love her. There was a meme recently, if you can find it. There's a meme with a, a girl on top of all these layers of mattresses, and each one has a little pee or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, yes. And then like for me, it's the bed sheets. If they are not totally smooth and they get the slightest wrinkle, it gets under my skin and I wake up in like searing pain. And it's really painful and people don't realize like that there are so many elements to your sensory system and how that impacts your daily life. And if you throw in burnout and you throw in perimenopause and menopause into that, that is a whole basket of navigation that nobody's talking about. It's not anything we are, we're talking about We're going to keep talking about it. And I'm really excited because we're going to continue this conversation and we're going to have a really beautiful summit coming up in September. We've got our third annual self-care September summit. And this year we're focusing all around autistic health, autistic women's health in particular. And we're going to dive into, I definitely am counting you in. We've got Vicki from Actually Aspling. She's going to be covering basically our whole reproductive cycle. So Vicki's going to be talking about when you start your period and sort of what that experience can be and is and sort of the conversation in that. Christine will be heading up and talking about aging and menopause and how does that show up And another thing is, you know, a lot of the surveys, they talk about reproductive health. Well, what does that mean if you're 50 plus? You're not welcome because we're post-reproductive, right? Right. All of a sudden, we're just cast aside. So I, I fight back when I see that they're doing a survey. I say, do, do you mean to be exclusive here? Like, do you realize that a literal thinker like most autistic people are going to self-censor and not take part in your survey because you said reproductive? Because I am a very good point. And Dr. Jen Gunter, who's our famous Canadian gynecologist who wrote the Menopause Manifesto, she says, We are more than our reproductive parts. Yes, yes, yes. I don't stop being interesting and alluring and beautiful just because my periods ended. And it used to be in some cultures that basically, you know, your life was over. But now we're reinventing ourselves and, you know, it's, it's not the end of the game. So, I always think about, you just made me think about this, a scene in the movie um, and it's, it's good as it gets. And it's got Diane Keaton in it. And when she and her sister, um, McDermott, I think it is, um, are having that conversation at the dinner table about, you know, I'm more interesting now than I was as a younger woman and, and all of the things about women and and aging and how that had been perceived for so long, you know, there's so many things that 
as a neurodistinct person, a brain and a body, you know, the experience of how our body changes, the experience of the sensory aspect of it. And if you have co-occurring health conditions that are also a part of that journey, you know, um, my coaching partner, Dr. Ali Arena, she and I were recently talking about this and we were both recognizing that we have some pelvic floor things happening and oh, how that moves into menopause, how that affects, you know, if you are choosing to have children, how does that show up in childbirth and post childbirth? Cause that was something I didn't even realize I was not normal or I guess I, I don't know what the hell normal is, but you know, the, that was something I experienced because nobody talked to me about it. So I had no reference. I had no idea. And people think it's all about Kegels and, and, you know, for low tone, you can have high tone as well. Like you have yes. to look into that. It's not, it's not a given. Um, yeah. And that therapy is really important. It really is. And it was so interesting because one of the things that I found out um, when you're talking about, you know, pelvic muscles and things like that, so much of it has to do with your breathing and, one of the things that I, I I talk about a lot and we do a lot of work in, in the unveiling method is actually just learning and recalibrating how we breathe and where we breathe from. Now, as a singer, so many of us hold our as breath. As a singer, I have to breathe diaphragmatically, right? So. Right. And I think that's the only thing that saved me, Christine, is that I am a singer. And so I had to learn to expand my rib cage. But it was like not a natural thing yeah. where I saw so many of my, you know, peers that were singing could do it pretty naturally. I was really like physically focusing and you on know this that whole... humming and singing that that whole polyvagal theory humming is really key eh? to, to yeah. regulate. Absolutely. So, uh, and how yeah. dysregulated do we get in perimenopause and menopause? Mm -hmm. Our nervous system. That's, mm -hmm. you know, a different experience. I think there's so much to talk about. And I absolutely love, love, <laughs> love the work that they're, that you are doing in the world. So Christy, with my team, not just with me. your team, not just you with your team, but you know, you really also on just your own as well as collectively as part of some of these incredible teams that you have been a part of and are a part of, you have some incredible resources. So I would love for you to share your book and share where people can connect with you, Christine, because you are a wealth of information and have been such an incredible blessing in my life. Oh, thank you. Anyway, Spectrum Women is still in print. Um, there's a follow-up on parenting, but this is the original uh, volume with 16 of us, uh, including some names you would know, Leanne holiday Willie. Uh, Barb Cook, the editor, Dr. Garnett, who puts a little explanation at the end of each chapter. So it's from Jessica Kingsley. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, the subtitle is Walking to the Beat of Autism, and it came out in 2018. And I wrote the last chapter. Save the last for best. That's right. <laughs> and uh, there's little bi biography, bleh, biographies of each of us, uh, tips and resources some of them might be out of date now but you know it's it's been four years so that's natural um there's also an audiobook which i had nothing to do with and uh get your library to order it if you don't have it in your library it's still very worthwhile um i prefer not to call it female autism i find anybody with the more internalized presentation of autism has appreciated the book we've had some really good reviews from men so uh, it's not just for Spectrum Women. 
And there's also, uh, what other resources can I send you to? Um, the support groups, well, they're private. So, you know, they'll have to email me for more information on that. One is for people before 1975. And the other one is just menopause related. So perimenopause related. Um, and your website. Oh, my website, of course. CJ Awesome, spelled A-U-S-O-M-E dot C-A. So that's where I have my consulting business and more resources, things that I've written in the past about my journey. So uh, I can be hired as a speaker, uh, as a panelist. I've been a moderator. I've been a reviewer. I've been a disc jockey. I've been a singer. So many hats. So I gave up at about 45 hats because I thought, oh, well, I've lived long enough. <laughs> So um, I love that. I love that about us in, in late identified life is because the conversation is so many, so many hats. Yeah. But <laughs> we I need to do a book called so many hats, Christine. You could, you could too. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's been rewarding knowing more about who I am. Well, thank you so much for showing up in the world the way that you do because you lead by, by simply embracing and embodying all of the wonderful things that you've shared today. Thank you so much for modeling and mentoring so many of us who are coming along, learning more about this because you have been open and sharing what you've learned and experienced to sort of pave the way for those of us coming up behind you, very close onto him yeah, of right. your dress. <laughs> I can feel your breathing, right? <laughs> so, yeah, and again, the, the quick link for the survey is uh, tinyurl.com slash autistic menopause, all one word. So if, you're, if you've already decided you want to take the survey, you, you don't have to go to the website first. You can go right to the survey. And yep. there's a video of me with slightly less hair uh, walking you through the consent form if you aren't, uh, if you have limited vision or... You just prefer to hear it rather than read it. Uh, I spent like 11 minutes reading the silly document out. So. Thank you. Thank so you, you don't have to wait doing that. Yeah. And you can keep it open until the last day. If you think about more things to write, because there's some open-ended questions that you might want to think about more. But as soon as you press submit, it's gone. Okay. And whatever you've completed by the first of, June will get sent in. So, but you can go back on the same device as many times as you like until then. Oh, that is fantastic. Cause I know a lot of us, we got to process and think about stuff yeah. a little bit. And, and, and I initially later. thought it would take like 45 minutes. Most people take 15 to 20 minutes. It's not as long oh. as you think. Now that okay. depends on how verbose you are with the essay questions. If you're, if you like to write big, long answers, I would allot 45 minutes to an hour. But if you're breaking it up into different timetables, you know, if you're coming back, then, yeah, it might only be 15 minutes. So Fantastic. Well, Great. please go join the Autistic <laughs> Menopause Survey. Your voice 
and your experiences are important. And Christine's research group wants to hear from you. And she wants to hear from as many intersectional backgrounds and from as many countries as absolutely possible. I know that you guys are in Croatia and the Philippines and all over the globe listening because I see it come up on my report. We're in over 89 countries. So I'm talking to you, ladies and gentlemen, and those of you who have the parts that make you, uh, you know, ready to take the menopause survey, please go do so. <laughs> please go do so. This is really you important. Know, or maybe you have a mom on the spectrum or a grandmother who's been through menopause. We want to hear from postmenopausal people too. Please. Because that's, those are the folks that help those of us who are just coming in there. So, you know, to me, those, that's the group you know, and that I really want to hear from. Maybe you sailed through it. Maybe it was fine. And we want to hear that too. Yes. Give some of us some you hope. Know, yeah. <laughs> Give, we, we love the positivity. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. Christine Jenkins, thank you so much Perfect. for joining me today, sharing more about aging and autistic menopause. And guys, wow, what a fabulous conversation with Christine. I learned so much and, and the resources that she brought were really fantastic. Make sure you check the show notes below. I've got both of the books, the song that we talked about at the beginning of the conversation, and so much more down there. Please make sure that if you are part of falling into that perimenopause, menopause, postmenopause, whether you are um, assigned female at birth and have transitioned, if you experienced uh, menopause before you transitioned, you are pleased, you are invited to be a part of this, your voice matters. And the researchers also want to be able to um, have that data and include your experience in this as well. Uh, the deadline for that menopause survey is June the 1st. The link is below. Please go take, take a few minutes to do it. Christine says it says 45 to 60 minutes, but most people do it in like 15 or 20 unless, you know, you're writing lights a lengthy stuff, um, which I'm so guilty of like I overwrite probably. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but next week, join me on Tuesday. I have a phenomenal guest, my friend Bridget Fenaro. She's going to be joining me and we're going to be talking about sensory systems and ADHD. And I'm, we're also going to like layer in burnout in our sensory system and burnout. So join me next Tuesday here live for the conversation with the amazing Bridget Fenaro. Bye guys. <laughs>